this week's Adam Schefter podcast, the preseason is winding down. The regular season is drawing closer. And we are joined today by the former Redskins and Steelers safety and undrafted free agent, now my colleague at ESPN, Ryan Clark, to discuss some of the players in today's game. And we'll be joined by the New Orleans Saints Pro Bowl wide receiver, Michael Thomas, who discusses his expectations for the coming season. But first, Ryan Clark. 13 years in the NFL as an undrafted free agent, which is a legendary run. (laughs) How does somebody play for 13 years when nobody wants them out of college? Uh, A lot of blessings and luck, Adam. You know, it was one of those things. It it was kind of what helped me play 13 years because even when you get an opportunity to start and you play a ton, you always feel like the undrafted guy. And in a lot of cases, because they treat you that way, like you, they're always trying to figure out a way to replace you because they remember the negatives or the things they thought you couldn't do coming into the league. You look back at the Washington Redskins. I started for them for two years. Sean Taylor and I have a great tandem at safety. And, And what do they do? They run out and make Adam Archuleta the highest paid safety in the game because still they remember Adam running fast and being strong these crazy workout tapes as compared to this undrafted guy who didn't run as fast who wasn't as big and so you continue to fight your whole way through your career and that's what kept me training kept me eating right and doing the things that allowed me to play 13 years there's a stigma that comes along with being an undrafted free no absolutely absolutely there's a stigma that comes along with nobody wanting you with seven rounds of drafts going by and not one team, not on their first try, not on their second try, not on their eighth try, some teams, even thinking you're good enough to be picked, even thinking you're good enough to have a contract where you get some type of money that's guaranteed. And so when they see those things, they remember the negatives about you. And usually those things are physical, right? Usually those things are are measurable. So they're always looking for the person with a better measurable until you Find a way to play yourself out of it. James Harrison eventually found a way to play himself out of it. I eventually found a way to play myself out of it, but it takes years. How do you do that? I think you got to just continue to show them, right? Because when you're, here's what I always tell guys when I train them or I mentor them is when you're a first round guy, you have to do everything you possibly can to prove to a team that you cannot play. Right. And then usually when that right. team feels like you can't play, look at like Ghostin that gets drafted from the New York Jets. When that team feels like you can't play, there's another team who was drafted in 12th or 15th that year when you went top five that says, Oh no, I remember this guy. He could play for me. And when you're an undrafted guy, you have to prove over and over and over again that you can play. So when was that moment that you knew that you had overcome it as much as you could overcome it and that you had arrived and that people weren't looking at you as Ryan Clark? the undrafted free agent, but rather Ryan Clark, the safety who can play, because that's how I think of you. Right. I'll be honest with you. Um, had a very good year my first year in Pittsburgh, but they drafted Anthony Smith from Syracuse. Guy was a 40-inch vertical. He was built. He, he was the guy that guaranteed that the Steelers were going to beat the Patriots. That guy, the Patriots that guy right? <laughs> and, he, and, and, and I played really well at him. I got hurt like the last three games. He comes in, plays. Next year, we're in a battle. Going into camp, they say it's going to be one of you two guys. I outplay them, get the starting job, and they say, oh, we're still going to alternate you guys. That's the same year I got sick in Denver. Obviously, you know, a lot of people know the story. They were, it's the year he guaranteed, and he's a good friend of mine. We played terrible as a secondary, terrible as a defense. I come into the next offseason once I'm cleared to train, and Ray Horton, who's the defensive back coach, tells me, he goes, 
we knew you were good and we knew you meant a lot to the team, but we didn't know for sure until you weren't playing. Mm. So it was nothing I ever did on the field that made people realize or made me realize that I was worth it, that I should be out there, that I was a, a safety in this league. It was me not playing that finally made people realize my worth. So it's like breaking up with a girlfriend or a boyfriend. <laughs> yeah, and, and getting better. <laughs> and, 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 and they're not your life. You're like, I miss them. I miss them, right? Right? <laughs> like, she used to cook. You know, she was so sweet. Yeah, absolutely. One, absolutely. one of those things. Now, you've played with some unbelievable players. You mm-hmm. mentioned Sean Taylor. Mm-hmm. What was it like to play with Sean Taylor? You know, for I was a huge fan, and it's crazy because I was in the league already. Sean Taylor in his last year in, in, in Miami had four defensive touchdowns, 12 interceptions. I remember being mad when he didn't win the Thorpe Award. I was like, oh, that's a fluke. And then you get to play with him, and you know, you've been around this game enough to know that you've seen some guys do amazing things in games. But where you really get to know them is practice. There was a play, uh, we were in the red zone, it's training camp, and, uh, Greg Williams keeps stats on how many turnovers you get. Sean Taylor in his rookie year had 19 turnovers Wow! in camp. Four in game, 15 in practice. We're in the red zone. They run like a square in in the back of the end zone. They throw the ball high. He jumps up, grabs it with one hand, and then flips it over the goalpost like an alley-oop dunk. And it was like watching things that people said couldn't be done when – all the safeties are covering tight ends and one-on-ones. And uh, David Patton, uh, you know, he used to play for he played for the Patriots, a guy who can really receiver, run yeah. wide receiver. Sean's like, no, I want to go cover the receivers. He's playing press man. He gets beat off the line, and David Patton could really fly. That's why they brought him in to watch him. Sean chases him down. David was short, so Sean slides his hands on the side of his helmet, picks the ball off over his head, pulls it back, behind his helmet and runs. And so just watching somebody do things that little people could do, but do it at six foot two, 235 pounds, and then watching him do things that D linemen can do and <laughs> flip offensive linemen and do those things and doing it at the same size. It was amazing to basically see a, a hybrid at the time uh, before it became something this league had. Ryan, where were you when you found out the news about Sean Taylor? I was in Pittsburgh. That was that was when I was I, I was sick. Uh, I was out. I actually had to get clearance from the doctors and get the tubes removed from the surgery in order to fly to the funeral. Wow. What do you remember about the funeral? Um, obviously the the, the funeral is is kind of was kind of for you know that was kind of for everybody else. The the thing I remember the most was the phone call to let me know he passed. Um, Rashad Bowman, who was a guy that played with us in, in Washington, uh, called and, and all he said was he's gone, you know, cause we all talked about it and we all knew. And so that morning I was sitting on the stairs and, and I was crying and my son, Jordan, who's 17 now and, you know, who was old enough to, to know things. Then, uh, he asked me, he was like, dad, you know, what happened to uncle Sean? And having to explain that, you know, to a, a very tiny kid at that time, uh, having to admit or having to say out loud what had happened to him was probably the, the hardest thing, you know, at least at the funeral, it was kind of a celebration of his life. And you got to see how many people he affected and how many people cared about him, uh, in that time. So what did you tell your son Jordan at that time? 
I just told him that, um, you know, I just told him that Uncle Sean's not here anymore. You know, I told him Uncle Sean had, had gone to a, a better place. And he understood it enough that that was all the conversation that was needed. Mm. Now, in Pittsburgh, you played with Troy Polamalu. Yeah. Another great safety. Absolutely. What stood out about him? Troy was, was, was freakishly instinctive and always wanted to explain it to me. You know, and, and, and he thought that I was... I was alien enough like him to understand it. And it used to make me so mad at him. Like, we'll be in defenses and Troy's supposed to play the flat, right? He's supposed to, like, cover three. He's supposed to have the back out of the backfield. And he'll be like, Ryan, I've been watching film. And when the tight end goes across, they throw a dig. I'm going to pick it off. <laughs> right? And so I'm like, well, Troy. I was like, Troy, you got the flat, bro. He's like, they'll never throw it. And so, sure enough... Guy runs across, Troy takes off and picks off the dig. Improbable play. You should never do it. And then there will be a time where he says the same thing, very similar, and they actually throw the ball to the person he says they'll never throw it to. And I was stuck in the middle trying to figure out how I'm going to get him on the ground. And that was what was like the cool thing about Troy. Um, people basically thought he was guessing, right? Like when he, when he jumped over the line on fourth and one and he's clearly not supposed to be blitzing yeah. or when he do some of these things, but he wasn't guessing. I remember asking, I was like, Troy, like, what do you see, man? Like, what makes you blitz? Cause he would always, cause he was like, you know, Ryan, I hate when they call blitzes for me. He's like, cause people know I'm coming. Like they can figure it out. I just like the blitz when I'm not supposed to. I was like, first of all, Troy, that's terrible defense. The fact that you're blitzing and vape, but he was like, you know, you can see the knuckles of the linemen as they push into the ground and the, the the center squeezes the ball harder as the snap is coming. I was like, Troy, normal people can't see that. I was like, I don't see none of that, bro. <laughs> I was like, all this stuff you talking, all this Zen master, yoga, deep breathing stuff, I don't see that. I don't know it. You just keep doing it and tell me when you're going to do it so I can at least get your back. And and that is how he talked, by the way. Nice and That is how he talked nice at, at all times. At right. all times. I remember... My favorite moment of him was in the Super Bowl, uh, Lamar Woodley, strip sack, Kurt Warner, and that's, that was our last defensive play. But this whole second, the whole fourth quarter, Larry Fitzgerald was just tearing us up, right? And throughout the playoffs, Larry Fitzgerald had gone crazy. So it's about to be the Hail Mary. I'm 5'11", and I'm taller than Troy. And so he drops back. We, we get the sack fumble. I'm running around screaming. He runs up to me. He hugs me, and he goes, bro. I was so scared that Larry Fitzgerald was going to jump over our head <laughs> and win the Super Bowl. And, and, you know, and for me, a guy who thought Troy physically was superhuman, most explosive player I've ever seen, could start and stop faster than anybody. He was so honest about the things he was afraid of, though. And to hear him say that, it made me feel better because I had the exact same thought. I was like, Larry Fitzgerald is going to moss us. And win the Super Bowl, and that's all everybody's going to remember about me for the rest of my life. <laughs> <laughs> if that happens on the Super Bowl stage, that's probably absolutely true. true. Absolutely true. Now, now you work with a lot of young players, a lot mm-hmm. of young defensive backs: mm-hmm. Landon Collins, uh, Robert Alfred, mm-hmm. Tre'Davious White, Dante Jackson. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've all the work with other players. I would assume a lot of LSU players. Yep, LSU went to LSU, Darius Geis. What What are you trying to impart? To these young players, are you teaching them about the game itself? Are you teaching them I, about social injustices? What are yeah, you teaching? Them? Everything, everything. I think um, it's most of the conversations I have with them end up being conversations I have on TV, 
right? Well, whether it's social injustice, whether it's the way you approach the game, if it's actual defensive back play, a lot of the conversations I have on TV are actually repeats because mm-hmm. these are things that we talk about. Um, you know, whether it's, you know, figuring out how to handle situations with your child, right? You know, a lot of these guys are fathers now. You know, I have a 20 year old daughter. And so, those are the reasons I do it. I don't get paid a ton of money to train people and to to mentor people, but I put a lot into it because I wish I had somebody who put a lot into it, um, you know, with me. And so it's been, it's it's can be called me. Obviously, you know, can be can Mike Cambrari, one yeah. of our producers right. here he at called, ESPN. He called me in the off season, like set up the schedule, and he's like, "Hey, bro, what you doing?" I was like, oh, "I'm working." He's like, "Well, which one's your real job?" I was like, "Oh, ESPN's my job." I was like, "This though." This is like my hobby. This is my way of, of staying around the the guys. Um, everything I do was were things that I wish people did for me. Like I remember going to teams and being as an undrafted guy, being labeled the smart guy, and asking older players sometimes, "Hey, you know, what do y'all guys do on this call?" And them saying, "Oh, you're figured out," or saying, "Nah, you got to be you. You can't do what I do." And just remembering, like, man, if I ever get to an opportunity, a point to where I've gained enough experience and wisdom to help somebody, I want to be that guy. And so that's kind of been, you know, w- what I've done with them. And for me, it's more a, a labor of, of love and passion than anything. We'll be back in a moment with more of my conversation with Ryan Clark. But first, I want to tell you about NetSuite. Has your company outgrown QuickBooks? Are shared spreadsheets, manual processes, and legacy systems costing you time and money? Now is the time to move your business to the cloud. Introducing NetSuite by Oracle, the business management software that handles every aspect of your business in an easy-to-use cloud platform. With NetSuite, you can save time, money, and unneeded headaches by managing sales, finance, and accounting orders and HR instantly right from your desk or even your phone. Thousands of the best-known brands and fastest-growing companies use NetSuite to manage their business. And now it's available to you. The power of the world's most popular cloud management system is more affordable than you think. Right now, NetSuite is offering you valuable insights to overcome the obstacles that are holding you back for free. Don't miss out on unleashing your business's full potential with this free guide. Crushing the five barriers to growth. You'll learn how to acquire new customers, increase profits, and finally get real visibility into your cash flow. Get NetSuite's guide, Crushing the Five Barriers to Growth, when you go to netsuite.com slash Adam now. Download their free Crushing the Five Barriers to Growth guide today at netsuite.com slash Adam. NetSuite.com slash Adam. How many young guys, young players are you working with, and how does it come to be that you come to work with them? Uh, well, like, so obviously Tredavious, he went to LSU. I've known him for a long time. Dante, uh, Robert Alford's brother was actually my college roommate. Wow. So, so that's kind of how that happened. And, um, with Landon, he's from Louisiana. He was passing through, headed to LA to train. Um, that's what him and his agent had figured it was. And it was after his first year in the league. It didn't really go how he wanted, so he really wanted to get training. And I just, uh, I knew a friend of his, and I was like, just tell him stop by. You know, and, he, and it was about 45 minutes through the first workout, and he tells me, he's like, I'm not going to L.A. You know, and he actually did a testimonial for me, and in the testimony he was talking about why he continues to come back. And his his words were, he was like, first off, I know he cares about me. He's like, he's like my big brother. And he was like, secondly, something we talked about earlier, he was like, you were an undrafted free agent that played 13 years. 
you know, there's a Pro Bowl jersey on the wall. You have a Super Bowl ring. I know you know what it takes to continue working and continue grinding. And he's like, and sometimes I forget. He's like, but you won't let me. And I think that's kind of the thing for me. I try to do each player is different. Like Tredavious White, I never had to ask him to work hard. You know, he might walk in like two minutes late, but when he gets there, he is about work from the time. Like he finished OTAs and he was in mini camps and he was there the next Monday. He's that type of worker. But different guys need different things, and I try to do that for him. Is there any Troy Polamalu or Sean Taylor and Landon Collins? Yes, in, in this sense. He's, he's a different player than both. Landon is freakishly talented like both of those guys. Landon was Landon was a, a high school kid who was 205 pounds and ran a 10-4 in the 100 meter. You know, he has that type of freakish explosion, um, instinct you can't teach and hip power and explosiveness that other people don't have. I think Landon Collins can be a Hall of Famer. And I'm going to try to continue to work work him in a way that, and I always make guys laugh. I say, look, I said, you are a Hall of Fame talent. I was like, but you need to have undrafted free agent work ethic. And those two things get you to jacket. That's a great way of putting it. Yeah. Who else do you work with has Hall of Fame talent? Anybody? Because that's rare. I mean, that's. I would say, I would say, just based on, just based on physical tools, Landon. You know, I don't know if any of them, because when I think, I, I think Hall of Fame differently. You know, like when you say A. Reed, it's a no-brainer, right? Randy Moss, no-brainer. Troy Palomalu, no-brainer. Landon to me is the only guy with that type of talent. Tre'Davious White could end up being the best cornerback in the NFL. Could. Could. Uh, I think he has that type of of understanding, that type of, of, of feel. He 100% has that type of work ethic. Now, if you end up being j- better than Jalen Ramsey, who's been kissed by the gods, that's the difficult part, right? That's the that's the hard thing. But I think Tredavious White ends up being a guy that goes to multiple Pro Bowls, makes all pro teams, and has that type of career where he will be in that discussion. So you work with a lot of these young defensive players – and you follow the league here at ESPN. Mm. Give me one defense this year that in your mind is going to surprise people and be better than people are expecting. Pittsburgh Steelers. And I know it's, it sounds it sounds easy, uh, but I got to have a conversation with, with Mike T. And, and I, like everybody, was like, what was up with the first pick? You know, because this was a guy that you look at Kuyper, you look at the drafts, they had him third round type player. He he was at the draft because he was there with his brother. And to hear him talk about how long this guy is, how versatile he is. Also the ascendance of of Davis, Sean Davis as a free safety. Another year of Artie Burns every day practicing against Antonio Brown. Bostic in the middle. Obviously I think up front with Cam Hayward, now you have Bud Dupree on the outside, these guys rushing. I think this defense is going to be a lot better than people expect. I'm not saying they're going to be great. Like I could have said, the Minnesota Vikings are going to be great. Well, we know they're not, going right. It's not going 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 out of the limb. The other team that I'm looking for to be exceptional, even with Aaron Donald being out, is the L.A. Rams. Oh yeah. I think secondary wise, they have taken steps, and now they might give up plays, but they're going to turn the ball over at a rate like we probably haven't seen since the early. 2000, you know, the 2009, 2010 
Green Bay Packers, the way that Charles Woodson, Tremont Williams, and those guys turned the ball over. Do the Steelers win the AFC then? I do. I think I think I think this is their year. I was actually asked on Stephen A. Smith's show who is the biggest threat to the New England Patriots. Obviously, it's because we're always trying to figure out. I think the Pittsburgh Steelers, with Ben Roethlisberger being motivated the way he is, this defense improving, and it kind of being a show-me year for this team, for this head coach, for this quarterback, for this defense, the Pittsburgh Steelers represent the AFC in the Super Bowl. Wow. That's bold, Ryan. Well, you know, if you can't be bold, man, what you doing? <laughs> Let me ask you this also. You were a freakishly good hitter. Mm-hmm. You could pack a wallop as well as any safety, any defensive back, any defensive player in the game. Mm-hmm. I, I couldn't believe the way you threw your body around. You're mm-hmm. not, not very big. big. What, yeah. 5'11"? 5'11". I played at about 200. And hit like you were 400 and Well, I appreciate that. I mean that. I appreciate that. I mean that. That's right. <laughs> How long would it take before you were thrown out of a game with the current tackling rules being what they are today? Five minutes? Five minutes? Um... Actually, um, got an opportunity to, I saw Shamarco Thomas's hit, obviously. You know, I got an opportunity to, to really, to really look at it and to really see it. And I think that, to me, like, I just couldn't. Shamarco Thomas being the safety of the Colts who was ejected from a game before right. the Colts were released. Then they released him. Right. Uh, actually DM'd and texted with Travell Dixon from the Arizona Cardinals, who I think had the most egregious and just ridiculous call. It was a pitcher perfect tackle in the middle of the field on a skinny post route. His head was up. It was to the side of the of the ball carrier. He wrapped his arms. He drove through and and he got a penalty. And it's been one that's been posted over and over again. And I actually sent out a tweet that said he did everything right. I would teach players to tackle in this manner. And if we can't play like that, we can no longer play football. Defenders have no chance. And it's funny you asked me how long would I get kicked out. The first thing I said when I retweeted it was, I also could not play in this league. Could no, not. They would not let me play. Could not. I could not. And I think what what's also going to happen, Adam, what's going to be a, what will be a, a side effect of this rule is this. There will be, especially the way the game's going, kickoffs, there will be no Ryan Clarks in the future. And I'm not saying that to say I was this great player. I'm saying because of the way I had to make teams and I had to play. I had to be a guy who was willing to go down on kickoff and take on offensive linemen in the wedge. I had to be a guy who was willing to throw my body around and inflict pain physically because I wasn't as explosive as a chore. I wasn't as freakishly long and talented as a Sean Taylor. So I had to find my way on the field by doing other things. They're not going to be guys like a James Harrison who have to who get an opportunity to play themselves into stardom, into being stars in the Super Bowls and Pro mm-hmm. Bowls through physicality, through work ethic, through through hard physical play, because they're not allowing it anymore. And so when it comes to like combines now and it comes to pro days, I think those things are going to become even magnified and more important because it's going to be those measurables that help guys play now because you can't win things with your pads. So how is this all going to play out this season? What do you expect the result to be? My my, my, my expectation is they're overcalling it right now. At least that's my hope, right? My hope is that they're overcorrecting the players in the sense that 
All right. If we say this is a penalty, if we say this is a penalty, we can back off of it, but you can never ramp it up during the season. Right. So if you have these hits that are questionable and you're not throwing flags and not getting opportunity to talk about them and say, you know what? You know, maybe the commissioner and the rules committee can say, you know what? The Travell Dixon hit that one's okay. Right. We can let that go in the future. So what I'm hoping is it is it tones down a little bit and we can still see a physical level of football. But just like everybody else, I want to see a safer football as well. Well, How do we do that? How do we make it safer if we're basically coming up with a rule that is hard to figure out? Um, I don't know, I think. But if you're the NFL money wise, you have to keep trying. Right. You have to. They put over half a billion into the research. You have to keep trying to make rules that make the perception of the league is that you want to help people, that you want to keep players safe. Because I think once that stops, once we stop, because even in talking about this rule, we have to say the rule was put in for player safety. And I think that's the NFL's aim over having an entertainment or entertaining game right now. Hmm. Ryan? I appreciate you joining us. Now, this is awesome, man. I, I get kind of jealous. I would always see you tweet about who was on the podcast and kind of, and kind of <laughs> like, you know, what they said and what they talked about. And so when they called me like, Hey, man, you know, you know, you're going to do it. I was like, heck yeah. I was like, it's about time, but I ain't been here. So I'm not holding against you. So I appreciate you getting me well, on as soon the, as I got the, back. The podcast has been on now for about a year and a half. And I've probably had how many people from ESPN here, Josh? Six, seven people. Oh, okay, yeah. I feel better now. Yeah, it's not like it's not like we've had this bevy of ESPN guests. All right, but, more to come this season, though. But more to come this season. I yeah. like it, and we because you know what, the one thing I've noticed is that whenever we get someone that we work with, there's a certain level of connectivity. Yeah, of sitting down with a colleague, where you 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 know me. It was comfortable. I think, and I want to say this, and this is for people who don't get to see you. Be Adam, right? Because all we get is is knowing that you're breaking news and knowing that you know you freaking work around the clock to do that. But I think it's awesome people get to see a little bit of your personality, kind of know who you are as a man. Because uh, you've been nothing but amazing to me here. Thank uh, you. Always honest, and I think it's awesome that you get a platform now to kind of show Adam. Because when you're breaking news constantly, you're talking about kind of what other people are doing. Now you get an opportunity to show people what kind of do, Drew. I think that's cool. But I try to stay out of the way also here. I try to let people <laughs> see who my guests are right. rather than who I am because they don't care as much about me. They care more about you. <laughs> well, I appreciate it, man. Thank you for joining us, Ryan. I appreciate it. Yes, sir. We'll be back in a moment with Saints wide receiver Michael Thomas. But first, a word from ZipRecruiter. Hiring used to be hard. Multiple job sites, stacks of resumes, a confusing review process. But today, hiring can be easy. And you only have to go to one place to get it done. ZipRecruiter.com slash ASP. ZipRecruiter sends your job to over 100 of the web's leading job boards. But they don't stop there. With their powerful matching technology, ZipRecruiter scans thousands of resumes to find people with the right experience and invite them to apply to your job. As applications come in, ZipRecruiter analyzes each one and spotlights the top candidates so you never miss a great match. ZipRecruiter is so effective that 80% of employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within the first day. With results like that, it's no wonder that ZipRecruiter is the highest rated hiring site in America. And right now, my listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash ASP. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash ASP. 
ASP. ZipRecruiter.com slash ASP. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Hello, Michael. Hey, how's it going? Thank you for taking some time from training camp. I appreciate it. Hopefully it's a welcome break for you. Yes, sir. Appreciate you guys having me on. Well, I want to start out by saying that back in February of 2016, I was in Indianapolis at the Combine. I had dinner with one of your college teammates, Eli Apple. And I remember saying to him during dinner, in this great draft class of Ohio State players that include Joey Bosa and Ezekiel Elliott and Taylor Decker and Darren Lee and Von Bell and Braxton Miller and Nick Vanette and Josh Perry and Cardell Jones, who's the one guy that you think is going to have the best career in the NFL? And he didn't hesitate. He goes, Michael Thomas. Why did he tell me that Michael Thomas of that great draft class was going to have the best NFL career? Um, you know, we went at it in college. Um, we competed a lot. We competed every day. Um, that's the type of environment we were at at Ohio State. We came out, we competed. And him being a defensive back, um, you know, we went against each other a lot. And we kept each other honest. And every day we knew we were getting each other better. And that would help us win games in the horseshoe on Saturdays and play for championships. So um, just, you know, probably staying consistent, um, developing a great routine, and then uh, eventually just turn it off on game day. Michael, how much have you followed those other guys? Oh, I follow them all the time. I'm always happy for them to have a success as long as I'm not going against them. <laughs> but uh, other than that, other than that, I'm looking for them to succeed. You know, we take pride in our school. Um, you know, a lot of these guys we could have chose from many different universities, but we chose to go to Ohio State for a reason to play big time football in a big time environment. So we kind of try to go to NFL and play with some pride. What's your assessment of what's going on at Ohio State now? Um, I have I've been in training camp, so I haven't had much time to really pay attention to what's going on. Um, but um, I've just been focusing on my team right now in the Saints. Good for you. Okay, so I want to go back over the last two seasons. We talked about that conversation with Eli Apple. When we look back at your first two seasons in the NFL, you had 196 catches, which is the most receptions in the first two seasons that anybody has ever had in NFL history. The only people close, Jarvis Landry at 194, Odell Beckham Jr. at 187. What do you have in mind, Michael, for year three coming up? Keep going. Um, try to set a high standard for myself, um, along with lead, help leading this team to getting back to the playoffs and playing for a championship. You know, it's all, it's all uh, you know, strategic, and it's uh, steps in that make the right steps in the direction to play for a championship. So every day, um, just coming out here, um, staying true to the game, um, staying disciplined, staying consistent. Um, all type of things go into it, and then uh, eventually, you know, when you look up at the end of the season, special things happen. What will be the biggest difference in your game this year compared to the first two years? Um, it's a lot of a lot of small little nuances and details um, play a big part in this game because you know everyone's talented. Uh, guys watch film. Um, you know, you have to be real disciplined and real detailed to uh, what you do as you have success in this league. You know, you want to stay consistent, but you also want to enhance your weaknesses. And um, there's a lot of little things I could do better that will help help me um, with uh, a lot with my game that will, that will create bigger results. So 
just the little things, taking coaching, um, correcting the mistakes, not making the same mistakes twice, just uh, attention to detail. Are those the little things you're talking about, cleaning up mistakes, attention to detail, anything else? Um, yeah, just always trying to become a complete player, always trying to, you know, max out my potential and then max it out again just uh, every day, just, you know, asking for what he wants. Um, being in the right place at the right time, moving and change, getting first downs, converting third downs, um, all type of stuff. You know, it's just help anything that helps add value to this team is all the things that I'm trying to enhance. Michael, do you draw any motivation from the fact that this offseason we've seen players like Jarvis Landry and Mike Evans and Stephon Diggs get paid big money? So if you go out and do your job, the better you do your job, the more you're going to make. Is that ever any kind of motivation for you? Um, you know, I think that helps eliminate all confusion when you get to go out there, play football, play it at a high level, um, help your team win games, and do all those things that help this team. I feel like all that stuff works out itself in the end when it comes to um, the big contracts and stuff. Um, so I'm just trying to add as much value as possible to this organization, and I, I know everything else will pay off staying consistent, um, you know, it, it kind of becomes confusing when guys, you know, get paid, but they're not as consistent and maybe they're, uh, you know, they have, and it may not be the same person every day, but I take a lot of pride in coming in and being the same person every day and competing every day. Michael, good answer there. You know what? If you don't worry about yes, the sir. money and you just do your job, usually these things take care of themselves in ways that you want. You don't even have to pay attention to that. These things always yes, work sir. out if you produce at the level you have. Exactly. Just look at Drew Brees. What about Drew Brees? What's your relationship with him been like since you were drafted? Um, it's great. It's been tremendous. Um, it's just it's a blessing uh, to have a guy like that um, behind center, um, to have access to a guy like that. Um, it's, it's, it's accelerated my, my career. Um, it's done a lot of things for me, beneficial. Um, being in the huddle with a guy like that it helps you out a sense of urgency. Um, you have to, you, you want to be, just you want to be at the right place at the right time for that guy. You don't want to make any mistakes because um, you know special things happen with a quarterback like Drew Brees. So, you know, you just want to, you know, take ownership and do your job and do it at a high level because you know that every day that he's going to do the same thing. So he's a great example, a great role model. Um, Someone you could always look to that can very consistent um, every day, very routine. I'm a guy that watches a lot of film, and he doesn't, you know, he doesn't. He's not a loud guy. He just he's he's a pro. He's a definition of a pro. He's 18 seasons in the league, Michael. He's 39 years old. How much longer do you think we'll see him behind center? Um, I'm. I'm not for sure because I'm just trying to keep him, you know, as as young. So if people say, oh, they, he only has this this much time left, then I feel like my job is to extend that in the best way I can and um, try to just keep him going and send him out the right way, you know, because I know he loves this game, and um, he's definitely not slowing down. Now, you said you've learned a lot from Drew Brees, who's a great pro. What's the biggest lesson that you've learned from your uncle, Keyshawn Johnson? Um... I've learned a lot of things from him, too. Um, just uh, coming in, you know, he was a big blocking receiver, so he's all he's always on me about blocking. Um, he's, he was a competitor. Um, he, he's always giving me those, those, 
those great insight conversations, you know, when, you know, when, um, when you need him, he's always been there and it's hard to just pinpoint some, like the most great advice he's ever gave me because he's given me a ton of advice. How often do you speak with him? Um, that's, it, it can be every day. It could be like, you know, every two days I talk to him often. Wow. Wow. Former teammate of mine, Michael, a good guy to work with. Okay. Yes, sir. And he's doing it right on the radio right now in L.A. Like being, yes, sir. Like being on with him. Um, two years ago, you burst onto the scene and made a huge impact on the Saints' offense. Last year, Alvin Kamara comes on and bursts onto the scene and has a huge impact. Is there any chance we're going to have anybody else like that come in and have another dramatic effect on the Saints' offense that's new to your team? Um, yeah, we have a lot of a lot of talent. Um here a young talent you know we're we're a young team um you know trying to think of some guys right off the hand like um you know Traquan's been having a strong camp um for a rookie to come here and learn all the nuances with a guy like Drew Brees at quarterback and everything they ask him to do I think he's transitioning real well um you know he's a competitor he competes uh he makes the tough catch so I'm excited to watch him play and be on the field with him um from the defensive side, I'm I'm really excited for uh, Marcus Williams. Um, he has that he has that chip on his shoulder. Um, he's been having a tremendous camp. Also, he's the grinder. Um, I'm I'm really excited to see how he responds, which I know how he'll respond. But I'm really excited for everyone else to see how he's going to respond. I know it's only your third year, but somebody I was talking to this weekend said it's the best defense the Saints have had in years. Do you get the sense when you're going up against them every day in practice that this defense can be that good? Yes, sir, definitely. Um, they have tons of talent on there. And um, got, every day I see those guys grow in, in uh, some type of form. You know, it's right now it's camp, it's training camp, it's hard, it's dog days. You're going against top offense in the NFL with the Hall of Fame quarterback. You know, you're, you're not going to always, you know, uh, win those battles. But as long as you compete and try to win as much as possible, um, I think we're creating a great culture here that will help those guys to see on Sunday. So as long as we're – keeping each other honest and coming out here and competing and um, and working with each other and uh, just, you know, going hard for each other, iron sharpens iron. Yep. I think we'll we'll, um, we'll have a great season ahead of us. Great expression there, iron sharpens iron, Michael. Great expression. How much do you feed off your emotions from standing on the sideline when Stephon Diggs scored in the playoff game last year? That was a tough pill to swallow, you know, just, just – uh, how how everything how the whole game went um you know it's coach always mentions how it's a game of momentum um you know we didn't come out exactly how we wanted to early on um but we responded we came back we kept fighting guys made big plays you know i kind of felt like i kind of like went in that huddle at halftime and i i had to come out i put took a lot of uh put it put a lot of uh you know a lot of it on me just because i wanted to be in that sometimes you want to be in those positions Mm-hmm. And uh, to just show your team how much uh, they, you care about them and um, you want to win the game. So, you know, guys had to step up and make plays. But, you know, we lost by a miracle, something I've never experienced before. So it was definitely a learning experience. But we put that behind us, and now we know what it takes. Never had a loss like that ever at any level? No, sir. What stood out about it to you? Um, just, uh, you know... I don't, I don't like talking about it too much just because it brings back, uh, you know, just kind of 
bad memories, but um, you know, we fought, we fought to the end. It was a miracle, like I said. It's not like they just came in there and they just did whatever they wanted to do with us. It was a miracle, so we'll just leave it at that. Well, I appreciate you answering that. How much do you hear, Michael, from people who draft you as a fantasy player, and and does it bother you? Do you get amused by that? Do you hear that often from people? Yeah, I actually do. It seems like it grows every year. Um, fantasy football is definitely getting big. Um, uh, I don't really know much about it because I'm playing real-life football, though, so I don't know the ins and the little nuances and stuff, but um, it seems like it's, it's allowing fans to get closer to the game and, um, I guess, and experience it a little bit differently, so... It doesn't. I try not to pay attention to it too much, although it is getting big. Oh, it's it's huge. It's huge. And let me just say this: you've been great for the Saints, and you've been great for anybody that has had you on their roster the last two years. And I'm betting that anybody who has you on their roster this year, including the Saints, will be better for it as well. Yes, sir. Appreciate that. Hey, Michael. Thank you very much for taking some time. Enjoy the rest of training camp, and we'll look forward to watching you in the season opener. Okay. Thank you for having me on. Appreciate it. And so a special thanks to Ryan Clark and to Michael Thomas, the guests on this week's Adam Schefter podcast. And a special thank you to you, the listener, for tuning in to another episode. Please come back again next week as we get ready for the start of the NFL regular season.